With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello and welcome to Through the Bible with Les Feldick, an inspirational and informative half hour of insight into the heart of Scripture. In addition to teaching the Bible, Les is a full-time rancher, having a down-to-earth practical teaching style that makes the Bible come to life. All programs are available on audio tape, videotape, and in printed form. At the end of the program, there will be an address where you can contact the ministry. And now, here's Les Feldick with today's lesson. The thousand-year reign of Christ is also another time of testing. Now, you have to realize, if you've been with me these last three and a half years, and many of you have been with me the better part of 20 years already, that uh, as we've come up through human history, God has changed His dealing with the human race. Now, God didn't change, but He changed in His dealing. In other words, when Adam and Eve were in the garden, God dealt with them under those circumstances, didn't He? In other words... The garden was theirs to enjoy. God communed with them every day, and uh, everything was pretty simple. But then all of a sudden, sin entered, and then what happened? A whole new ballgame. Adam and Eve are expelled from the garden. All of a sudden, they have to work with the sweat of their brow. Sin is now everywhere, the curse. Now, that's certainly far different than it was in the garden. And, of course, that went on until it got so bad that God destroyed the whole shebang and the flood with the exception of Noah and his family. And then they come out of the ark, and then what? Another whole different set of circumstances. Totally different than it was before the flood. And so that goes on. And uh, then the next great event in history, of course, is the Tower of Babel. And all those new generations just recently come out of the, the sons of Noah, have gathered in rebellion. That's what the Tower of Babel really is. It's a place of rebellion. And again, God intervenes and confuses all their languages. And what happens? They scatter. They scatter. A whole different set of circumstances, see? And then he calls Abraham. And again, it's something totally different. He now is going to deal with one special little race of people, the nation of Israel. That's why they're called the chosen race. They're covenant people. And that's totally different than what he's ever done before. And then along comes Moses in about, uh, what, 1500 B.C. Now Moses gives Israel, at law, God's direction, of course, the law. Now, you and I have no idea what it was to live under the Mosaic Law. That put such pressure on people because you want to remember it was far different than the law that's practiced by Judaism today. To live under the pure law of Moses was under the constant threat of what? Death. I mean, if they picked up sticks on the Sabbath day, what was the result? Death. If one act of adultery. What was the result? Death. I mean, there was no mercy. That was under the law. Then, 
Along comes the Apostle Paul, and to the consternation of the Jews of his day, and many even to this day, Paul now proclaims, you're not under the law, but you're under grace. Whole different set of circumstances. Well, now we get into the kingdom. And again, it's a whole new set of circumstances, except it's more like the Garden of Eden than anything else. But instead of just two people involved, we're going to have literally billions. The world's population is going to explode. And so the kingdom is going to run its course. And throughout these thousand years, beginning, remember, with those first citizens of the kingdom, Israelites, as well as Gentiles, they're all believers. Because you'll never forget what Jesus told Nicodemus, that unless there is the new birth, they cannot enter the kingdom. And so we have nothing but believing people beginning in the kingdom, men and women, and they begin to have children. All right. Satan's locked up. We saw that back in uh, Revelation 20. Are most of you already there? Let's go back to Revelation 20 and pick it up now in the text. <coughs> That at the onset of the kingdom in Revelation 20, verse 1 and 2 and 3, where John sees an angel. Now, of course, he sees it in the light of prophecy. The angel come down from heaven, having the key of the bottomless pit and the great chain in his hand. He laid hold on the dragon, that old serpent, which is the devil and Satan, and bound him. How long? A thousand years. Now, there's that, uh, that concept again of the thousand-year period. Verse 3, he's cast into the bottomless pit. He's shut up. God sets a seal upon him that he should deceive the nations no more. But what's the next word? Until. That's a time word. And so he's going to be locked up and bound until the thousand years are fulfilled. They've run their course. And then what is God going to have to do? Let him loose. Now you say, why? You've got him off the scene and they've had a thousand years of utopian rule and reign of Christ, and everything has been perfect. Why let that rascal out again? Well, remember, why did God bring Satan on the scene in the first place? To bring the human race to a place of choice. That's why God gave us a will. Now, of course, back in history, young boys and girls were matched by parents or grandparents, and they were thrown together. And I guess it worked maybe better than what we do today. But I think for you and I, under our culture, can you think of anything worse to have someone choose your mate for you? Because after all, we're under the whole concept that we're going to look for our mate until we finally find one that we what? Really love. And when we found the one we love and he or she loves in return, what do we think we've got? Oh, that marriage made in heaven. Now, that same concept is what brought God and the human race into the picture. God didn't create robots. He created a race with a free will and with an emotion. And so God says, I'm going to extend my love to these creatures I'm not going to force them to love me in return, but I'm going to expect love return. You see the difference? He had every right to expect the human race to love him back because, after all, he loved them first. But he didn't make them. And so we know that the sad commentary of the human race is they spurned God's love for the most part, and all because they'd rather follow 
the adversary. Now, you see, if God had not permitted Satan to come into the scene, they'd have never had a choice. They'd have had no will to exercise. They'd have been like robots, because after all, he's the only way. Now, same way here in the kingdom. For a thousand years, it's going to be beautiful. And all these new children coming on the scene with that old Adamic nature, but no power of Satan to trigger it. And so they've gotten along just fine. No rebellion, no wickedness, no sin. The king is in absolute control. But have they ever made a choice? No, they've had to be obedient to the king because of the circumstances. So now at the end of the thousand years, we have these billions of new generations of human beings on the scene who have been obedient by virtue of no choice but to be. Now God says, all right, we'll let old Satan come back. He will again make his pitch and they can either follow Satan or they can stay true to me, the king. That's the choice. All right. Now you got the picture. He must be loosed for a little season. And then, of course, we pick it up after the thousand year has run its course in verse 7. And when the thousand years are expired, Satan shall be loosed out of his prison. Now, remember, we've got billions of people back on the planet. And he shall go out and deceive the, what's the next word? Nations. See, there's going to be nations of people. Remember what I told you at the onset of the kingdom? You had the nation of Israel, by, by far the largest survivors of the tribulation. But you remember the sheep of Matthew 25 who were the survivors of the tribulation from all around the planet? You remember I said, I think they all go back to their home country. Survivors from England will, I think, go back to England and regenerate the land of England, and all the way around the planet. So it will be. Now these nations, back up to full complement, are now going to be exposed to the tempting of the evil one, Satan. And you say, well, how can that be even possible when they've had it so perfect for a thousand years? Listen, how good did Adam and Eve have it? They had it perfect. You know, I would like to tell my classes, you know, Eve had the best husband there ever was. On the other hand, Adam had the best wife there ever was. Now, a lot of people think I have, but uh, <laughs> Adam had a better one. But yet, under those perfect, ideal situations, Satan came. Did he succeed? Oh, you bet he did. And how did he succeed? He couldn't say to Eve, Now listen, honey, I can bring you a better man than Adam. That isn't what he said. He didn't go to e oh, Adam and he said, Now listen, Adam, I can find you a better wife than Eve. See, that's part of the temptations that, you know, confront people today. They, they aren't satisfied with the present spouse because old Satan says there might be a better one out there. But that isn't the way uh, Satan looked at it. He knew that they had everything that the human race could possibly want except for one little area. And what was it? They could be like God. And that was the temptation. You can be like God. 
And that's going to be the same thing here. He's going to come to this generation of people and they're going to say, but now, wait a minute, we've got it so good. And he say, but but you're not like God. Wouldn't you just like to be like God? And they're going to fall for it. Hook, line and sinker. Now he got Revelation 20. Continue on. Verse nine. And he has brought all the nations of the earth. Verse eight. I'm sorry. He's brought all the nations of the earth including again, O Gog and Magog, those northern confederation of nations that we've studied before. And he's going to bring them together to battle, the number of whom is as the sand of sea. In other words, just without number. Tremendous amounts of people. Now, they're going to be under Satan's control. He is the leader of them. Now, who are they going to have to conspire against? Well, against Christ. The king, see? And so here again, we have almost a repeat of the Battle of Armageddon. They're going to uh, arrange themselves there again around Jerusalem, I think, and they're going to try and destroy Christ and his kingdom. Satan never gives up. Now, look what happens. Verse 9, they went up on the bread to the earth and compassed or encircled the camp of the saints about, which would be Jerusalem, the beloved city, and God just simply sends fire down out of heaven and devoured them, all the rebels. Now, we don't know whether it's all of them or whether just most of them, but whatever, the vast majority of that new generation are going to follow Satan. And, of course, they're going to be zapped right off the scene. Now then, verse 10, we've come to the end of human history as the Bible knows it. From here on, we go into eternity. Time has now finally come to its final end, 7,000 years from Adam. And then verse 10, And the devil, or Satan, that deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone. Now, that's not hell, and we're going to look at that. I don't imagine I'll have time again this half hour, but... Uh, Let's see, we got one left yet this afternoon? Yeah. So in the next half hour, why, we may look at the difference between hell and the lake of fire. But here, Satan is now committed to the lake of fire where the beast, that was the Antichrist, remember, who held sway in the seven years, where the Antichrist and the false prophet, you remember the leader of the world religious system that we studied several weeks ago? where they are. Now, I always like to have people watch that verb tense. It doesn't say where they were or where they had been, but it's the present tense verb, are. So after a thousand years, the Antichrist, who is a man born of a woman, the false prophet, who also was a man born of human parents, were cast into the lake of fire and a thousand years later, where are they? They're still there. Now, that flies in the face, then, of folk who teach that hell or eternal doom is annihilation, that it's the end, it's the cessation of everything. That flies in the face of Scripture. The book says that the lake of fire is going to be the eternal abode, and we're going to see a little more of that now as we come on into this chapter. So then verse 11, Satan is now off the scene, 
The earth has come to the end of its usefulness so far as human history is concerned. And I like to think that here is where we pick up the verses of Second Peter chapter 3. And uh, I don't know whether it's appropriate to look at it now, but maybe we'll look at it at some other time. Let's not look at it now. But uh, verse 11. And I saw a great white throne. Now, I'm sure you've all heard of the great white throne. And him who sat on it, <clears throat> from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. Maybe we should go back. Just turn back to the left a few pages, and you'll get to Second Peter. It's not very far. Second Peter. I'm hoping it's chapter 3. Second Peter, chapter 3. And I know amongst the scholars and the theologians, amongst whom I do not number myself, but I know amongst them there is a lot of controversy as to whether these verses apply to the end of the tribulation or to the end of the thousand years. I prefer to think they're the end of the thousand years and the onset of eternity because of the language here in chapter 20, verse 11 that the present-day earth, even after it had been restored for the kingdom age, will be totally destroyed, not by flood, not by water, not by earthquakes, but by fire. And then, don't give up, we're going to have new heavens and new what? A new earth, because heaven is still going to be on the earth. Now, that flies in the face of a lot of people's thinking, but it's still true. All right, Second Peter chapter 3. <clears throat> Drop down to verse 10. But the day of the Lord. Now, you want to remember the day of the Lord, scripturally speaking, goes all the way from the rapture into eternity. That whole period of time is considered that day of the Lord. And it'll come as a thief in the night. And then, of course, there's a semicolon. So, you can leap a thousand years in time very often in Scripture with a punctuation mark, and here's one of them. And then the heavens shall pass away with a great noise, and the elements, that is, that make up the planet, the elements shall melt with fervent heat, the earth also and the works that are in shall be what? Burned up. Now, it's amazing that way back here, old Peter, the uneducated Galilean fisherman, used the same language that science uses today. Isn't that amazing? What words am I talking about? Elements and uh, the fervent heat. And then verse 11, the word dissolved. Now, you see, those are all words that you use when you get into physics and chemistry. And so the earth is going to be burned up. And then verse 11, seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved, what manner of persons or people ought you to be in all holy conversation or manner of living and godliness? Now, you see, the world in general tonight doesn't take that into consideration. They think it's just going to keep on going. In fact, we were talking the other night in one of my classes how that our younger generation, bless their hearts, the 20-somethings, the 30-somethings, for the most part, how much concern do they have tonight for eternal things? Almost none. Almost none. I'm not, I don't make a general statement and say all, but for the most part, 
they just don't seem to comprehend that this old world is not going to keep going. All right, so Peter says we should take all this into consideration. Then verse 12, looking and hasten or actual be a part of hastening his coming. Now, I think the way you and I can hasten the Lord's coming is to literally win people to the Lord, because the more and the faster they're one to the Lord, the sooner the body will be full, and that will be the triggering mechanism, of course, for bringing it all in. So looking for and helping to hasten the coming of the day of God, wherein the heavens being on fire shall be dissolved, and the elements, in other words, everything that this earth is composed of, shall melt with fervent heat. Nevertheless, we look for new heavens and a new earth and so on and so forth. All right, now flip back to Revelation, and I want you to see this same kind of a setting. The thousand years has ended. We're ready for eternity, and heaven and earth have fled away. They've been burned up, and there's found no place for them. Like I said, though, don't uh, become disheartened because... As soon as we get to chapter 21, which will be down the road a little while, very first verse in chapter 21, what does it say? And I saw a new heaven and a newer. See? So that's coming in the future. But let's back up now. We're not ready to cover that yet. Let's come back to chapter 20 now, verse 12. And as this great white throne is set up someplace out in the area of space, it's not in heaven. It's certainly not on the earth because all that is in the process of being burned up. But here's this great white throne of which Christ is the eternal judge. And now John says, as he sees this multitude coming before the great white throne, I saw the dead. Now, several programs ago, we talked about the two resurrections. And again, I didn't have enough time to do it justice, and I'm sure I let some people out in television hanging by a string. But you remember I talked about the first resurrection, which was the resurrection of the just, but that the second resurrection was the resurrection or the calling back from the dead of all the lost, and that they were not simultaneous, but that there would be this thousand years or more in between. All right, now this is the bringing out of hell all the lost of the ages. Now, I've only got three minutes left, so I haven't got time to do what I want to do. We'll do that in the next half hour. But nevertheless, here come the dead, the lost, in their resurrected bodies. You say, what? Lost people are going to be resurrected? Absolutely they are, because Jesus said it in John chapter 5, that the day is coming that all that are in the graves will come forth. Some to everlasting righteousness, some to their everlasting doom. All right, now we're talking about the lost, those who have never embraced God's saving grace. And here they come, small and great, kings, emperors, the greatest of the great, but the small of the small. And they stand before God. Now here is, again, I was just pointing this out to one of my classes the other night. That so many times the term God, G-O-D, is used right in conjunction with Christ. Now, I'm thinking in particular the burning bush coming down through Exodus chapter 3. The language is constantly going back and forth that God spoke and I am spoke. Remember? But they're one and the same. 
And so same way here. It's God, but it's Christ who is the judge of the great white throne. All right. And so the books, plural, were opened. And then another book, singular, was opened. And that is the book of life. And if their name was not in the book of life, there they are. And if they have any argument, then Christ will simply show them where their name, I think, could have been, should have been, but it's not there. You remember Jesus in his earthly ministry said, they're going to come before me someday and they're going to say, but Lord, didn't we prophesy? Didn't we do this? Didn't we do that? And he'll say, depart from me. I never knew you. And what's going to be his proof? The book. And their name isn't in it. All right. Now I've got to wind this up again too fast. When there no argument, their name is not in the Lamb's book of life. Then he goes to the plural books. And what will that be? A record of their works. A record of their works. And I was mentioning in a class the other night, you know, that used to be hard for me to comprehend. But now, when they can put the whole King James Version of the Bible on one little microfish chip, then do you think God's had any trouble keeping track of people's works? None whatsoever. See, they're counting down my seconds. We have to stop. But uh, we'll pick it up again in another program. Thank you for joining us again for Through the Bible with Les Felding. If you'd like to order audio tapes, videos, or any of our printed material, you may do so by writing Les Feldick Ministries, Route 1, Box 760, Kenta, Oklahoma, 74552. That's Les Feldick Ministries, Route 1, Box 760, Kenta, Oklahoma, 74552. Or you can call us toll-free if you'd like at one 800 369 7856. That's 1-800-369-7856. Remember, this is a faith ministry, and your participation with us is greatly appreciated. Again, our address is Les Feldick Ministries, Route 1, Box 760, Kenta, Oklahoma, 74552. And our phone is 1-800-369-7856. Thanks again for listening, and please join us next time for Through the Bible with Les Feldick. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.